everybody, if you'd like to do it and you'd like to go, you want to go to Bible college for a weekend and participate in Survivor at the same time, that would be a good thing. Turn this morning, if you would, to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we're going to pick up in verse 5, just 5 through 9 this morning. The study this morning, don't play games. As I was up very early this morning, and I don't know why the Lord got me up this early, but I was just so taken aback by the need for this message to make it into the world today. Because the church is being picked off. The church is being ripped off. People in the church are giving horrible, lousy, abysmal, unbiblical counsel to people in the church. Uh, People are taking the world's ways and the world's wisdom and the world's processes and procedures, and they're adopting them in the church and passing along things that ultimately will destroy both the church and the individual. And so this morning, a message that I pray will strengthen you in your resolve. message I've entitled, Don't Play Games. Because as verse 5 clearly stated, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, and from such people turn away. There are a lot of people in this world today that have a form of godliness. And their masses are growing. They're the people who speak Christianese. They're the followers of Deepak Chopra. They're the Dr. Oz, Dr. Phil, and Oprah gang, who all at times speak Christianese, do they not? There are those who write massive books that are on the bestseller lists for weeks and months and years. They even quote scripture. Quite frankly, our president, I believe, falls in this category. He speaks Christianese, he even quotes Bible verses, but he enacts legislation that's anti-God and certainly anti-His Word. And so, I believe that this is an important message for us as a church. I believe that we need to speak the truth in love, but we need to speak the truth. Having the truth without love is bad, and having love without the truth, is also bad. You cannot have one without the other. And I believe that the church is being sucked in to a fashion of godliness that is neither from God, nor will it cause people to seek the true and the living God or have a relationship with Him. Just simply godliness for the sake of looking religious. And so this morning, as we started last week, what's the world's house going to look like in the last days? Quite frankly, it's going to look really religious. It's going to look like we're on the right path. But it's a path that doesn't contain Christ and is not based on His Word. And I pray that we will be a voice in our community and in our world for the true and the living God. Would you pray with me? Father, we have come this morning and we recognize that 
that truth that we speak is your truth. And that love that we possess to speak it is your love. And Lord, we thank you that we've been saved by grace and through faith, and we never want to forget that or diminish that aspect of our relationship with you. Lord, indeed, were it not for your grace, we would all perish. And so, Lord, we do not wish to become judgmental nor legalistic, but we really do believe, Lord, that there is a path that leads unto righteousness, and there is a road that leads to destruction. And we fear for those who are on it. We fear for those of our friends and family who have received counsel that supposedly is from you. And, Lord, they're following that counsel, and they're breaking up their marriages. They're reneging on their promises and debt. They're walking away from the truths that your word declares. And they have believed that it's right because someone has said so. We pray that you'd square away our theology. And we pray that as we do that, Lord, we would be your ambassadors for truth in this world. We thank you, God, for your word, even for those parts that challenge us, Lord. We pray that you would now bless us and speak to us. Anoint this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so verse 5, as we move back to a verse we looked at last week, having a form of godliness but denying its power and from such people turn away. Pretty plain statement. That, that we as the true church, and again, that's not Calvary Chapel, that's not even those who specifically are Protestant, it's anyone who names the name of Christ and holds his word dear, who has professed to be a child of God by the grace of God, through faith in God, in Christ Jesus, it's that church. Lots of different flavors to that church. But that church should have a central message, and that central message should be the truth of God's word. It's not man's plan. It certainly isn't some best-selling book. It is not pop psychology mixed with religiosity. It is God's word, holy, absolutely factual, completely true, held out as the only methodology whereby we can know God. It's not this garbage that goes out on your television. It is not the inspiration channel. It is the Word of God lived out in its fullness in our lives that causes people to know the truth. And family of God, can I share with you, if you share the truth with people, you're going to offend them upon occasion. They're not going to like what you have to say. Because God's Word is, in fact, sharp, and it's sharper than a two-edged sword, and it does divide between joint and marrow, between soul and spirit. It is the discerner of men's hearts. It causes us to look at the truths of the things in this world in the light of how God sees it. And quite frankly, God's not pleased with a lot of what goes on in our world. He is mad. He is upset. Why? He's not mad because of the people. He's mad because of the sin. He wants people to repent and turn and receive that grace, but but we keep telling him, no, we're not going to do it your way. And so that religiosity, that religiousness, that, that godliness that has a form in our world, I believe is one of the more dangerous things that we face on a daily basis. 
because people are sucked into it. It sounds really good. When Dr. Oz comes on and says, you know, if you eat more tofu, you're going to be more right with God, and he said things like that. If you drink your acai berry juice every day, and you know, you do all of these crazy things that, that somehow you're going to draw closer to the Lord as you lose weight or whatever, all of those things have some truth to them. The problem is, is people start looking at being vegan as something that draws you close to God. Being vegan will not get you closer to God. Nor will being a ravenous carnivore get you closer to God. Those things have no bearing on your relationship to the Lord whatsoever. But if you begin to focus on those things in an unnatural way, and you make a precedent out of those things pretty, sure, pretty soon, as has happened to the Seventh-day Adventists, all of a sudden you can't walk with God unless you're a vegetarian. You can't walk with God unless you worship Him exclusively on Saturday. You don't know the Lord unless you meet those criteria. And all of a sudden people are believing the wrong thing about God. They're disbelieving His grace. They're disbelieving His mercy. They're clinging to things that ultimately aren't going to matter when you get to heaven. And we need to be that voice against those things in this world. And that's not to be against people. It's to be for the truth. And so he goes on now in verse 6, and before we go one step further, this is not a blanket condemnation of the intelligence of women. Did I say that clear enough for you? It is not a statement about the value of men versus women, or women versus men. It has nothing to do with those things. It is not the point of what's being said here. It is not dictating that women somehow are more gullible than men. It is simply in the context of that day and time, women had zero opportunity to learn anything. They were not allowed to go into the, the church and have equal status. That was something very new in biblical times. They were certainly not allowed to gain in intelligence in the same way that men were. So there was a huge difference between the two genders at that time, which was not God's plan, by the way. And so as we read this passage, keep it in context. And the context of this first condemnation is of that day and time. It was a statement of fact of that day and of that time. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins and led away by various lusts. It was believed at that point in time that women probably outnumbered men at least two to one, if not three to one. Very easy to understand that. Men worked very hard and generally died young. The population of widows may have been as much as a third of the population of the Roman world. There were more women on earth than men at that time. And at that time, because women did not have equal rights... They were often in places where they were very much overly dependent upon men. And so much more so than in uh, what has been to some degree 
uh, a society here in our Western world that has also had its time of chauvinism. And so I say to you this, that as you look at this, please don't draw a line in the sand and say, well, this is just speaking to women. Guys, this is speaking to you as well. And it's speaking to us in the context of our day and time and our world. And so there's much to be drawn from it. And so it says that these false teachers, these people who had a form of godliness, were creeping into homes. Why? Because they were susceptible to that particular lie at that particular time. And let me tell you, we have some susceptibilities right now, and I'll share with some of those here in a little bit. But at that day and time, because of the number of women in the world, because of the dependence of women specifically, matter of fact, they had no rights unless they were married to a large degree. And so women were very susceptible to some snake oil salesman, if you will, coming along and, oh, well, I heard from the Lord, and you're supposed to be one of my many brides. I heard from the Lord, oh, you're not doing, and you need some love, so let me make sure that you have that. Oh, well, I'll take care of you if you just, you know, do this or do that. That was creeping into the church. And the church was becoming just as debauched as the world was. Can I say to you that some of that exists in the church today? I've had a few choice words with some men in this church. Matter of fact, we have asked several to leave. Because they've been taking advantage of ladies in this church. If you're here and you have ill intent, we will find you out. And we will deal with you sternly. Do not come here. Do not come here to this church and think that you'll go unnoticed if you begin to prey on anyone in this church. It's one of the roles of the elders of this church is to make sure that people are safe here of both genders, but especially you ladies. And so here they were led away by those various lusts. And it is speaking specifically of sexual sin. Always learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. It's interesting to me that those who are caught in this type of mindset about religion are some of the smartest people you'll ever bump into. They're constantly seeking to find new ways. Oh, they've got every one of Dan Brown's books. You know, they can, they can quote to you from, you know, the, the Gospel of Thomas, which you'll not find in your Bible, by the way. They may even speak Greek or Hebrew. But they haven't laid hold of the grace of God. I know God wants this message out. I'm pretty sure the power is going to go out here in a second. By the way, we're just going to open the windows and I'm going to keep teaching. Never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. What truth is he talking about? He's talking about the good news of the gospel and the power of God's word. Not talking about some new book that you need to have. Not talking about your best life now. He's not talking about the purpose-driven life. As I've shared with you before, there's a lot of good things in the purpose-driven life. 
But if you're living your life by the purpose-driven life and not by God's Word, you're going to be in trouble at some point in time. Because it's not the Bible. And it has some stuff in it, quite frankly, that's false. It's untrue. It's unbiblical. And it's ungodly. By and large, some good stuff in there. But that's how the enemy works. And I'm not trying to tell you that Rick Warren is unsaved. But I'm telling you, that's how sneaky the enemy is. He will use anybody, anytime, anywhere, at any place to get his work done, including the church and people in it. And now Jonas and Jambres resisted Moses. And so do these also resist the truth. Do you remember the story of these two men? They're believed to be two of the sorcerers who there in Exodus chapter 8 came against Moses as Moses was performing the miracles. They were two of the guys that, oh, hey, we can make frogs. Oh, that's right. We can throw down our rods. They'll become serpents. Oh, no problem. We can turn the river to blood. Do you remember what happened to them? It came down to making something out of the dust of the earth, and they couldn't pull that one off. You see, ultimately, all Satan can do is abuse what's already here. He can't make anything from nothing. Only God can do that. You see, they failed. And that's what happens in the church. These false churches, these these believers, if they are so, that are teaching heresy, if they're unbelievers who are knowingly trying to draw away people into, into a false standing with the Lord, eventually their works are known because they cannot ever seal the deal. Oh, they can look religious for a long time. They can do some of the things that it appears that God does because Satan can do that. He masquerades as an angel of light, does he not? That's what Scripture says. The enemy is crafty in his wiles, is what Scripture says. You know, I often laugh at people, and not at them, but probably more for them or with them, for those that think, you know, Satan is this forked horn dude that has a red coat and a tail. I guarantee you, Satan is a master businessman. I guarantee you he is likely debonair, suave, and handsome. I guarantee you he's got wealth. I guarantee you he eats at the finest restaurants. I guarantee you if you were to actually meet him, you would say, man, he's awesome. He's not going to be, I'm Satan. He's going to be, you know, I have a business opportunity for you, and I've noticed that you haven't been doing very well. And I really want to help you, because that's the kind of guy I am. And could you sign right here? Just ignore the soul part. You see... Falsehood does not ever come dressed as falsehood. It comes dressed as truth. That's why people believe it. And so these also resist the truth. Men notice these things of corrupt minds 
disapproved concerning the faith. In other words, they don't have a relationship with the Lord at all. They're not saved. I got into a, a very heated argument with some with someone about the eternal security that Mr. Deepak Chopra might have. They said, well, you know, he teaches the same truths. I said, no, he doesn't. He is the voice of Satan in this world. And he's really good at it. He is not saved. He does not know the Lord. He plainly denies salvation comes by faith through grace. He plainly denies the divinity of Jesus Christ. And so just because he quotes scripture sometimes, just because he says, well, you know, the teachings of Jesus were right on. He also teaches teaches that the teachings of Buddha are right on, and Krishna are right on, and that the New Age movement has some truth in it. To him, everything's truth, and he is a bright guy. That's how come he's made so many jillions of dollars selling books, telling you how to live your life so that you'll feel good in everything that you do. He is of The enemy. Do not give him your money. Don't buy his products. Don't buy his books. He is of Satan. Okay? Is that plain enough for you? We need to start speaking those things. So when your friends come to you, well, what do you think of Deepak Chopra? Satan! (laughs) Tell them the truth. Well, you know, some of the things he writes are good. That's like, Well, if you don't eat too much arsenic, you'll be fine. You'll be okay as long as you don't take too many of those pills. Family of God, we need to stand for the truth. Stop messing with the truth. It's the truth that sets people free. Not half-truths. It's not telling them what they want to hear. It's not making them feel good about their reading list. I love to read. But when you have someone who plainly talks about methodologies of salvation and enlists every religion on earth, they are from the pit of hell. Just because they're dressed nicely, just because they have a national TV audience, does not make them good. It makes them very dangerous. That is why Oprah is dangerous. She professes to be a Christian. And yet everything she says has some anti-God spin on it. Every once in a while, she'll throw out a scripture. But when it gets down to the truth, we're going the other way. Be careful where you're getting your counsel, church. Because I've had people tell me, well, you know, Oprah said... You know, I read this book and it said, we better get our truth from the book, not a book. Huge difference. Amen? Amen. Notice this, because it tells what happens. But they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all, as theirs also was. At the end, Jonas and Jambres were found out for exactly who they were. They were fakers. Why? Because they couldn't do what God does. 
And that's exactly what happens in our world today, is it not? You know what? Pop psychology works for a while. It does. And to some degree, at times, there are some beneficial coping skills and all of those things that can come from that. I'm not denying those things. But what I am saying is, at the end, if it doesn't lead you to Christ and you're a Christian, if it doesn't point you back to God's Word and you're a Christian, if you're professing to know the Lord and you don't get those truths from Him, you're leading people astray. You're causing them to believe something can work, and it can't. Oh, it might work for a while. Jonas and Jambres were able to pull off three miracles before the fourth one didn't work, and that's what happens. May work, those self-help things may work for a while. You can grab your nice big fat rubber band, stick it on your wrist, and every time you want to light up a joint, you pop. Oh, forget it. No, I'm not. You know, that'll work for a while. Until you have such a fat wrist, you can't get the rubber band on there anymore. And then you take it off, and it's just like you forget it for a while. You've got to fix the real problem. The real problem's a heart issue. The real problem is a rulership issue. And if you're ruled by the flesh, which is what it, Scripture says happens if you don't know the Lord, then you're going to follow the flesh. And for a while, you can suppress the flesh. For a while, you can carry your lucky coin. For a while, you can do all kinds of things. And it will work to a degree. But at the end, all of a sudden, no power of the Spirit and no ultimate victory. Now, having said that, That's not so much a condemnation on those things I mentioned as it is on the church. Because the church is encouraging people to go out and do the same things the world does. And that's the problem. And so these people, defined by these two men who resisted Moses, denied the plain truth and the power of God. Those characteristics that we saw last week are some of those things that become very evident when you're not walking with the Lord. Now, having said that, does that mean that Christians are perfect and we're just, you know, we never do any of those things? Of course not. But we should. And we should exercise our godliness in such a way that we're getting better and not worse. That's why when I talk to Christians, well, I've walked with the Lord for 30 years. And could you, could you wait a minute? I've got to go get my keg of beer. You know, oh yeah, I love Jesus. I'd like you to meet my fourth wife. Yeah, oh, I, I love the Lord. And I'm going on a Buddhist retreat this week. You think I'm joking? That's from this church, folks. We've had people in this church tell me those things. So how ought we to be prepared? What should we be looking for in these last days? We should be looking for these things creeping into the church. Your friends and family are going to ask you tough questions. Are you going to give them tough, biblically sound answers? Or are you going to tell them what they want to hear? You see, that's a form of godliness. Because they're going to look at you and they're going to know you're saved. Not questioning anybody's integrity in Christ here. 
But I'm saying, does that integrity also then go to what you do in your life and how you give counsel? It's interesting how many people can say that they're in a certain army, but they're not actually prepared for battle. There's actually a story during the Korean War of a sergeant who was given a new platoon to watch over. And that platoon had been in the battlefield for about a year in Korea. And they had fought at the Battle of Incheon. And if you know anything about the Incheon Reservoir, it was a vicious, horrible battle. It's believed that at least 50,000 people died in that battle alone. But these guys had been so dismayed by the battle that they hadn't bothered to clean their weapons. And he went to review those troops. They're going into a battle the next day. And he reviewed the troops and their weapons had rusted shut. Oh, they looked like they were ready. Their weapons were shouldered. Their M1 Garands were over their shoulder. They're standing there at attention, ready to be reviewed by their new officer who's going to command them in the field of battle. And they couldn't have done anything if they wanted to because their weapon was rusted shut. How many Bibles fall in that category? It's rusted shut. There's not a mark in it. You open it up, it won't even stay open because it's never been opened. It's been lugged around like some kind of icon. Family of God, we need to know what's in here because this is truth. And I praise God for you all because largely I'm not speaking to the group that probably needs to hear this message. But you need the message so you can speak the message. I need the message so I can speak the message. And so when those things come up in my life, don't think that as a pastor I'm immune when people come in and their lives are falling apart that I don't want to just, hey, brother, I know exactly what you're going through and I feel sorry for it. I'd divorce the witch too. <laughs> Goes through your head. You know, sometimes you hear people pour out their lives and you're like, kill her. Just, I don't think there's any other answer. I'd leave him too. You're right, he's a scumbag. You know, there are times when you're just hearing that and people are pouring out their life to you. You're going to hear these things. People are going to come to you for counsel. What are you going to tell them? You're going to tell them the truth? You're going to tell them how you feel and what you think they want to hear. Because it's hard to tell them the truth. It hurts to tell them the truth. It may even ruin your relationship for a period of time to tell them the truth. You can falsify a miracle. Well, I think if you just do this, this, and this, and it's not from God, and they do that, and all of a sudden their life is better. You're just like Jonas and Jambres. You, you tell them to go out and do these handful of things. Well, you know, just God will forgive you. And at some level, there's a measure of truth to that. His grace absolutely is sufficient for all of our sin. But you can't presuppose upon the grace of God. And you can't willingly sin and say that you know Him. And so on one hand, His grace is huge. And on the other hand, it's very costly. It's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. So we need to be careful about what we say to people, lest we cause them to believe an untruth about God. 
There are an awful lot of people who carry Bibles, they attend church, they mouth the right words, and yet there's no evidence of the work of the Spirit in their life. That's who's being spoken about. I've met pastors that weren't saved. I'm deadly serious. I have met pastors who, pastoring a church, who did not personally know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I've met deacons and elders who have the biggest, fattest, nicest, $800 calfskin Bibles, and there's not an ounce of the work of the Holy Spirit in their life. I've sat in church business meetings where I felt like I was sitting in corporate America again, going, my goodness, what has this got to do with Jesus? We profess Christ. You don't turn that off. It's not a badge that you wear on Sunday. It's not something you pick up down at the bottom of the stairs and, okay, now I'm saved. Every day, every way, people should know that Jesus Christ is Lord. Of your life, of this church, of the church as a whole, that He is the answer. It's not me, it's not this church, it's not us, it's Him. Notice verse 6 again with me. They are the kind whom the NIV says worm their way into homes and gain control over weak-willed women who are loaded down with sins and swayed by all kinds of evil desire. Let's take this into our modern context. You see, at that day and time, there were flat-out more women. They had almost no opportunity but now the, the paradigm has actually shifted, and we have, quite frankly, modern feminism to thank for this to some degree. It used to be that men were the direct cause or the direct instigator of a majority of divorces. Do you realize that in the state of California, it is now 70-30 women over men? That women file First, now, at least in this state. You, you see, we need to be careful about making this a man or a woman issue because there's enough sin to go around and there's enough problems to go around. But in this context, that was the issue at that day and time, and I'm not so sure that it isn't swinging back that direction. It was not that way for the better part of 2,000 years, but it seems to be swinging back to some degree and not in the lack of intelligence. Because women are every bit as smart as men, every bit as capable in the workplace as men, every bit as capable of becoming the highest of all things that we uh, admire in our society. There, there is no reason that at some point in time we couldn't have a woman for the president of this United States. But I can tell you this, with that comes just as many problems as we have seen with men running everything. We need to seek the Lord for Him to run the hearts of mankind. And then no matter who's in office, they're going to be okay. These women were loaded down with sins. They wanted to desperately be set free. Uh, they had been under, in essence, some bondage. And I would say that that uh, is similar 
at least to our country at the turn of the century. It probably is not the case as much as it used to be, though it still exists in some uh, pieces and segments of society. But in essence, these false teachers crept in where there was an advantage for them. And that's exactly what's going on right now. People are buying into the self-help schemes. Ladies are buying into the, you know, well, you know, now we're completely free, so we can just do whatever we want. It's very dangerous. And I ask you to take a look at television if you don't believe what I'm saying. A vast majority of the television programs that are problematic are focused at you ladies. They've completely turned the tables. The self-help schemes, the the lack of uh, care for the marriage... The biblical definition of marriage has never been more under assault than it is right now. As I have shared with you, for the first time, about the middle of last year, for the first time in the history of this nation, there are more people living together than are married. That some 70% of all families will be affected by divorce, either because the parents are actually divorced, or because one of them was previously married, and now there is the, the pain of that divorce has affected the new marriage. You, you see, when we start talking about these things, how easy is it for us to start denying the plain teachings of Scripture? God hates divorce. Family of God, He hates divorce. And so when the church begins to say, well, you know, God understands that you just aren't compatible anymore. Or you fell out of love, which is one of the most common things that I hear. I just fell out of love, you know, or we got married too soon. Can I say to you, God doesn't uh, all of a sudden nullify your vows because you got married too soon? You see, part of our problem is, is we've humanized those things which were ordained of God. We've tried to make them more palatable because they're easier. And again, not to say grace is insufficient. Please do not misunderstand what I'm saying here. Grace is sufficient for divorce too. But we got to stop telling people it's okay. We need to stand up and loudly proclaim the truth. And you know what? This isn't right. It's not beneficial, it's not helpful, and it hurts. You see, these ladies were being taught lots of things. They had a boatload of knowledge that was now being thrust upon them, but they were being brought in, in essence, to to have their minds controlled by somebody else. Well, I'll just tell you what you need to believe. I'll tell you what you need to think. You need to get that from God's Word. So I've shared with you before, I challenge you, go pick up your Bible and read the passage yourself and see what God says to you. He's able to speak truth. The question is, will we communicate it? Part of the problem we have in the church today is there's very little biblical truth that's communicated from the pulpits in America anymore. 
We're so busy focusing on whether we're going to get people to do this or do that or be this or be that or find this or find that that we haven't bothered to stop and say, you know what, let's find out what God wants. Acts chapter 20, if you want to turn there to verse 27. The Apostle Paul speaking of his own example. For I have not, in verse 27 it says in Acts 20, shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. It's easy to declare partly the counsel of God. You know, I love telling people about Jesus and the free grace gift that you can have by faith and believing in Him. That's no problem at all. But when they're bearing up underneath that pain of being in an abusive relationship, do you know how hard it is to tell them the truth? It's hard. Because I have to tell them, you know what? God hates divorce. Truly, Scripture says, how many times should you forgive? Seventy times seven. That you're mandated to forgive someone who's hurt you. That people don't like to hear. Oh, my husband's a jerk. My wife is just a constant nag. My kids are they're the spawn of the devil. They, they came from some other person. I don't even know. They're not related to me. And I'm just turning my back on them. They're 18 years old. I am kicking them out. Do you know how many times I've heard that? I have heard Christians tell me their children are not their children anymore. Well, they just keep doing the wrong thing, so, you know, I just gotta let them go. Find me that verse in Scripture, would you please? It's not there. My Bible says that Jesus came to seek and save that which is lost. And that he said we should go to the uttermost. And if your brother sins against you, turn your other cheek to him that he might also slap that one. You know, that might be your wife, that might be your husband, that might be your children, might be your mom and your dad. Maybe your aunts, uncles, and cousins. You tell that to people? Nah, you just don't understand. And in a practical sense, I can say you're right, I probably don't. Not as it pertains to you, but I can as it pertains to me. And I know exactly how wicked my heart is and what it's capable of. I know what my Bible says. And my Bible says that His love and His grace is sufficient for all that sin. And if we're willing to rest and trust in it, that He can solve those situations. You see, these people, though, are of a corrupt mind. They have a counterfeit faith, they oppose the truth, and they are in denial about the results. They are in denial about the results of their methods. You see, the world says, oh, well, you you turn on Inspiration TV or TVN and you get Creflo Dollar or one of those guys. And all of a sudden he tells you, you know, God wants you to have a Cadillac and diamond rings on every finger. And if you just give him a thousand bucks as a seed gift, God's going to bless you. 
And then you get the three people that that actually happened to, because again, Satan's crafty. You get Benny Hand. well, you know, I know you just need to come up for a healing, and you know, there's 10,000 people there, and of course he cold calls none of them and picks up on who's got what going on and brings somebody up, and something happens, and everybody's going, yeah, and if you'll just support my ministry... There's a lot of very poor, unfortunate souls that have paid for his multiple, multiple jets that he owns and his multiple houses all over the world that he owns and his multiple millions and millions and millions of dollars that he has that are doing nothing for the kingdom. Not a thing. You see, people like the extraordinary They like to feel like they're part of some grand event. Oh, and everybody gets whipped into a frenzy and it all sounds real godly. Thank you, Jesus. All of a sudden, at the end of the day, you find him on an airplane someplace cussing somebody out. Been filmed doing that a number of times. Oh, that's the Spirit of God. You get the the behind-the-scenes look of them ripping through envelopes, pulling the cash out, throwing the prayer requests away. That was on 2020, by the way. You, You see, eventually, those things get found out. That's why it's important for us to tell the truth, be people of the truth, declare the whole counsel of God's Word, You know why I know they're wrong? Because not one verse in Scripture says you're going to be completely of good health your entire life. Not one verse in Scripture says that if you ask God to heal every affliction, He will heal it. It's not there. And in fact, the opposite is there. The Apostle Paul would be chief example of that healing issue, would he not? He asked the Lord three times to have that thorn in the flesh, his physical infirmity lifted, and God responded to the Apostle Paul, My grace is sufficient for you. He didn't say, Man, Paul, you are so awesome. And you know what? You've been doing so much for me. I, I did notice that while I was here in heaven and gazing down at the earth, and you are just amazing. So your life is going to be problem-free. It's one of the reasons we studied recently the book of Acts. The Apostle Paul went through hell while he was on earth. All of his disciples, save one, were martyred for their faith. Not one of them had any cash. You don't realize that. Go back to the Gospels and realize what happened. After the... After Jesus ascended, what did the disciples do? They went back to fishing. That's how, that's how deep their faith was at times. God doesn't automatically, miraculously provide everything we ask Him for. We need to be careful about what truths we believe. And we need to speak against those things that are patently untrue. Otherwise, you're letting people 
go off on a, on a rabbit trail someplace, it's going to hurt them. It's going to destroy them. A number of years ago, we had a lady in this church. She has since left. And she shared with me, and she said, I could share it with you. She gave over $50,000 to those yahoos on TV. She got three different kinds of cancer. She lost everything. Husband, home, kids abandoned her. You see, there's a form of godliness. Looks good on TV. Lots of nice flowers, nice stage sets, all those kind of things. Doesn't have an ounce of Jesus in it. In verse 9, I love the way the NIV says it, but they won't get very far. Their folly will be clear to everyone. And ultimately, God does that. You can look at the results and you can say, man, it didn't work. You know how I know true faith? Do you know how I know true faith? When it's tested, it prevails. It's actually very simple. Every time something happens in your life and your faith gets tested, and I'm not talking about having a lapse of faith, I'm talking about abandoning your faith. Going back to the arm of flesh, returning to Egypt, if you will. You go through that trial and though you may struggle and fight with God a little bit, you may, you may think that at times He's abandoned you. At the end of the day, you end up stronger. You end up walking closer to Jesus because you know you need Him more than you've ever needed Him before. It's real faith. What happens with these guys? As soon as the, the thing doesn't work, they've got to move to a new city. They've got to find a new group of people. They can no longer bilk people anymore. That old plan doesn't work. You see, so it is in our world today. These converts of false teaching that are being talked about here in verses 6 and 7. How many converts of false teaching say things like this? I'm not fulfilled. I'm in financial bondage because my husband makes more money than I do. I've been verbally abused. We have irreconcilable differences. I married the wrong woman or the wrong man. I fell out of love. That's false teaching, family of God. My Bible says that my God can fix anything. And I mean anything. He can fix the financial things. He can fix the issues of love and appreciation if we do things His way. You see, we start to believe the things that we see on TV. You go through that list that you can pull up on your satellite provider. And look at how many of them are TV-14, TV-MA. And you look at the reason that they're rated that way. And it's basically just the vile spew of the enemy trying to creep into homes even today. And people sit there and allow their minds to be filled with that trash. 
I'm waiting for the, the housewives of running springs to be the next. It's like, it's like every city, you know, it's the housewives of friends of housewives, housewives or whatever. It's just, it's sad. Do you know how many Christians watch that garbage? Do you know how many Christians watch that garbage? It would shock you. It's a bunch. And they do it under the guise of entertainment. That's the enemy trying to assault your mind with untruth. Turn it off. All those television programs that are destroying the family, promoting homosexual lifestyle. So I shared with you, it's shocking to me. In one way, and not in another. Because my Bible said it was going to be like this in the last days. We're being conditioned, we're being programmed, and unless we hit the off switch, you're going to continue to get conditioned and programmed. You need to be careful about what you take in. And that's in every way. You know, we jump on the guys about porn. Ladies, romance novels are porn without pictures. Ouch, huh? Got to be fair here, because it's true. And I'm not saying all, because there's some Christian ones out there that, from what my wife says, are wonderful. (laughs) But I've picked up a few of those and looked at them and said, oh, my Better be careful, because it's not helping. Searching for the truth, searching for something that's maybe missing. We need to search the Lord and our own hearts for those things. Be careful what you take in. Be careful what you support. Be careful how you give counsel, because it says here that these religious leaders were beginning to give bad counsel. Unbiblical counsel. And ultimately, they were playing games with God. Please don't play games. Speak the truth. Speak it in love. Call sin, sin. Offer grace absolutely, please, in Jesus' name. Because His grace truly is sufficient for all of our weaknesses. And I would hope most of you know me well enough by now that all we're talking about here is taking the right stance, being on the right side, not being used for the enemy, but being used for the Lord. Amen? I pray that when the Lord comes for His church, we will not be playing games. We'll be speaking the truth, and we'll do it in love. Let's pray. Father God, as we think on these things, Lord, we pray that we would not fall into the trap of the world. Lord, of preaching a message that cannot save, of speaking counsel that harms more than it helps. And Father, we pray in these these tough areas, God, that you would cause us to be bold, 
And as we're bold, we'd also be loving, respectful, kind. But God, help us to never shy away from the truth because it's hard. Help us, Lord, not to set aside the very specific truths that your word speaks because they're confrontational. Lord, you came to this world and you yourself said that at times you'd even separate families because of your truth. And God, we don't want to simply do the obnoxious. We don't want to be just contrary. We simply want to speak the truth. And so, Lord, help us to not support these people and these programs and places that are drawing you away from them and them away from you. We pray that you'd bless us, Lord, as we stand for you. We know that you have already stood for us, that the victory that we have is won in Christ Jesus. And so, God, strengthen your church, encourage us, help us to be ministers of light, Help us to be salt to the world that we live in. We bless you. We thank you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Just stand. Worship the Lord.